Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You're probably familiar with Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. You know, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Well, tonight I'm going to tell you a little bit different story. It's a tale of two seminarians. Students who had the same preaching class together. And one student used to work for Disney. Yes, Disney. So many of our seminary students anymore are second career students. Brent worked for Disney. And as he listened to the texts of Scripture, he could imagine worlds of God's grace. He could invite people into the halls of God's kingdom where the halls resounded with joy and were the happiest place on earth. But sitting behind him, one seat over was a guy named Frank. And Frank came from an entirely different background. He was a homicide detective. And one day, Frank brought in a photo album to class, uh, not filled with pictures from Disney of a family vacation, but filled with, well, to be frank, dead bodies. Close-up of wounds, because that's what Frank did. Wound identification. He taught it. These were pictures of wounds that Frank would help students to identify how they were made. Two different guys, a tale of two seminarians. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Because while Brent would help the class imagine life and fill their minds with the dreams for God's people, Frank would remind them of God's judgment. He'd bring them back to reality. A world filled with suffering and death because of God's judgment against sin. And when Frank would imprison them with the harsh reality of sin, would preach the reality that needs to be heard about sin, they could always turn to Brett for gospel. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. The question is, can we see that both are needed and both work? And the real question is, can you embrace God's promises as the best of times even in the face of sorrow now, even in the face of the worst of time, can you have joy amid your sorrow? Can you have joy amid your sorrow? Not joy in the absence of sorrow, but joy amid sorrow. Joy and sorrow together. I submit to you that's the way it has to be. Joy without any sorrow is not realistic. Can you imagine if we said, okay, I'm not going to celebrate Christmas until I'm totally full of joy. I know some of you have lost loved ones recently, and this is going to be a difficult, it's already been a difficult Thanksgiving, it's going to be a difficult Christmas. If you consider the readings for the upcoming Sunday, for this Sunday, looking ahead a little bit, the third Sunday of Advent, God immerses us in narratives of people that have a peculiar joy, Advent joy, holy joy. And in these readings, God reveals joy in the presence of someone who comes to us with joy and someone who comes to us amid our sorrow, someone on whom we can cast that sorrow and someone who can give us joy. In these readings, God prepares us not only for the birth of Jesus, in a fleeting moment, but instead embraces Christ as our lifelong source 
of joy. So let me tell you about some of these readings that we're going to hear about on Sunday. Consider the Apostle Paul. Consider the Apostle Paul. Paul writes to the Philippians and tells them, rejoice, rejoice always. I will say it again, rejoice. And you know where he writes this letter from, from the halls of a prison. For some people, prison would not be a place to talk about joy. To write a letter about joy, much less to think about joy. If joy were the absence of sorrow, there would be no letter from Paul from prison. Paul's got sorrow. But God asks us to see a peculiar joy of Paul. Though the apostles' hands are chained, his heart is free. Though he is in a cage, he is free. Paul knows that joy is not the absence of sorrow. Certainly not. Joy is found in the presence of the Lord who comes to us, who is with us in the midst of our sorrow and brings us great joy. Consider John the baptizer. Similar story. Suffering in prison. Awaiting execution. I'm sure his reaction would be a lot like yours if you were in the same situation. Uh, Jesus, hello. Here I am in prison. Remember, I was supposed to do this. I was supposed to talk about repentance for the forgiveness of sins and announce the, uh, the coming of a Savior. I'm in prison. Hello. Uh, are you the one who is to come or should, I, should we expect someone else? Right? He sends his, his disciples out to ask this question of Jesus. Are you the Christ? Because my current circumstances don't look like it. And Jesus sends John's messengers back to him with a song of joy. A song of joy from Isaiah on their lips. A song of joy of the fulfillment of God's promises. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. If joy were the absence of sorrow, this would be a cruel joke to Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. But while John is dying, Jesus promises joy. Jesus sends John a word that brings the word made flesh in all of his grace to someone who is awaiting an execution. In the midst of John's suffering, there's joy. Now, the same thing happens in the text for Zephaniah. You just don't see it because you don't see the big picture. What do I mean by that? I mean that in our text for today, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of sorrow. This text is brimming with joy, overflowing with joy. It's like a day at Disney. And reading this small verse can evoke that world of joy. But this small text is only a small portion of Zephaniah. Reading the whole book of Zephaniah is difficult, to say the least. It's a lot like paging through Frank's murder album. I don't know what else to call it. Because Zephaniah gives us a vision of divine destruction. Of godly justice 
and judgment. Dead are scattered everywhere, and the book opens with this grand sweep of judgment. And this is what God says. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. You know, he said something like this similar once upon a time. The book opens with this sort of grand sweep of judgment, the entire earth. And then it kind of narrows. It continues with particulars. God judges all priests, people, rulers, merchants, warriors, laborers. And it continues. Okay, it just keeps going. It goes into the night. In fact, the prophet pictures God with a lantern looking for people. Pretty scary. And the most horrifying vision is when Yahweh prepares a sacrifice in the midst of his enemies. Only this time, the sacrifice isn't a bull. It's his very own people. Judgment. Scary stuff. But here we could do some wound identification. We could learn from Frank. What do we learn about God and the wounds that are inflicted? There's some pretty important lessons to be learned. First, we learn that God rules over all nations. Everyone. His judgment extends to all social classes, throughout all nations, throughout all times. You cannot get away from it. And that's the second thing. God's justice, His holiness, His power, it's overwhelming. No one can resist Him. He is the one who creates. He is the one who tears down. But third, and most importantly, is that Yahweh is present with His people in the midst of judgment. In fact, God is most fully present in the midst of His divine judgment because He does judge Jesus. Jesus is Israel reduced to one. He is that body sacrificed on the altar that bears eternal punishment and judgment for sin. Here we see that Yahweh will not leave his people alone in judgment, but rather comes to them in the midst of his judgment to take that judgment. It's the whole cutting a covenant thing that we've talked about before. You cut a covenant. May I become like one of these animals. You cut an animal in half. You walk in between the animals. May I become like one of these animals if I should break our covenant. The people break the covenant. They should be the ones to become like one of these animals. But God says, no. That will be my son. Jesus is the one who bears the Father's wrath for us. He becomes the sacrifice to take away our sin. And he is the presence of God in the midst of our sorrow. A man of sorrows. Yet he has joy. Amid his suffering, he has joy. He joyously gives his life for you. Not half-heartedly. Not begrudgingly. But joyfully. Because he knows what it will mean for you. It is the mystery of joy and sorrow joined for eternity in the eternal relationship of father and son. The son in joyful sorrow offers his life for you. The father in sorrowful joy 
receives you on the arms of his dying son. It is God overturning death for his people through his son. And when that son arises and ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of the father, he still bears those wounds. They bear witness to what he has done for us. Father and son joined together forever for you. And now the Spirit works to bring that presence of Yahweh to you, for you. That is what Zephaniah is singing about at the end of his book. That is the joy that Zephaniah utters in amazement. The joy of the presence of God with his people, in the midst of them, in their suffering, to bring joy. Here's what Zephaniah proclaims again. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty hero who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He can do that because, again, all the divine judgment has been taken away. He will quiet you with his love because nothing in all creation, not any expression of sorrow, and Paul names a bunch of them, Danger, famine, nakedness, sword, go on and on. Nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Zephaniah invites us to see joy and sorrow together in the eternal love of God. It's hard for us to understand it. But it is necessary. Especially as Christmas approaches and we prepare to celebrate joy incarnate. And sing joy to the world. What is our joy? Who is our joy? That's the question. And here's where it really hits home. There's a Christian woman who didn't want to go to church anymore. Well, she didn't want to go to her church. Because she had lost her husband. And every time she went, they would go to church together. And it reminded her every time she sat down in the pew that he wasn't there anymore. When all was going well in her life with a wonderful husband and two beautiful children around her, she felt like she belonged. But then, when sorrow came to her home, when it knocked on her door, when it decided to sleep in her bed, when it woke her up in the middle of the night, she didn't feel that joy anymore. The problem is, all the people around her were celebrating joy as the absence of sorrow. Right? Just forget about it. Get over it. What's wrong with you? That's not good advice, by the way. If I ever say that to you, you're allowed to slap me. I mean it. We just had a funeral, and I told them, they're, they're so apologetic. And it's like, if you didn't have this sorrow right now, you wouldn't be human. She didn't have a place or the language or the people around her to be able to express her sorrow rightfully. And she didn't hear this is even worse. She didn't hear about the presence of someone in the midst of the congregation who rejoiced over her, who comforted her with his love, who promised a resurrection from the dead and an end to sorrow, who would give her joy amid her sorrow, walk with her through that sorrow and show her deep and abiding love, a true love that brings true joy amid true sorrow. That's what God wants for us. 
we bring our joys and sorrows together before God in prayer. And in his word, God responds and gives us his son, Jesus Christ, and his assurance. Jesus comes and he comes to create a place where all people and all nations can gather before him. Because he has taken away divine judgment and now rejoices over you. And the joy that he brings, as we mentioned before, the joy that he brings bear eternal witness. Like the wounds that he carries will serve as an everlasting message to us in this world and the next. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. A mighty hero who will save, who has saved. Right? This is Zephaniah pointing forward. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. Amen. I may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.